So uh, if you don't know by now, I am a drummer. I am also a band teacher. And uh, one of my first interviews I did was with one of the coolest people I've ever had a chance to meet and work with. His name is Neil Grover. Neil is a percussionist with the Boston Symphony and Boston Pops and also uh, owned a company called Grover Pro Percussion, making some of the best uh, triangles and tambourines and even drums and drum sets, snare drums and drum sets that I've ever had the pleasure of playing. And I still play. I have lots of his instruments. So uh, in this interview, you'll hear the story of how he got started and a lot of other cool stuff, his his hobbies and stuff. And uh, I hope you like it. Stay tuned for the network sessions and some more re-releases and also some other new episodes coming soon. You can find me on Instagram at Getting Grilled Pod. I also have a Twitter, Getting Grilled, Getting Grilled Pod, but you don't have to worry about that. Instagram is the way to go. And uh, definitely check out the rest of the Fourth Wall Pop Network and everything we have to offer. Uh, until next time, enjoy this episode with Neil Grover. Hey everyone, how are you? Welcome to Getting Grilled here on the Fourth Wall Pop Network. I am really excited this week to have a, a very, I'll say this, but a very old friend of mine at this point, uh, Mr. Neil Grover from Grover Pro Percussion. And I'm really excited to have him on because not only uh, did I intern with him in college, I love his products and he's just an all-around great guy to know. And uh, I think you'll get some really cool insight from, uh, about the percussion world from him. So, Neil, how are you? How's everything going? Great, John. It, well, considering what's going on out there, it's, I'm doing great. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, some good things to come out of this bad situation is some of us have time to do stuff like this. So, again, thank you so much for taking the time out. Oh, to well, I'm honored you would, you would include me of with course. Uh, the luminaries that you're interviewing. Of course. Oh, luminaries. You are one of those luminaries. So, well, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So let's let's jump into it, uh, Neil. How how did you get involved in the percussion world? What is your upbringing with drums? Before we get into your All company right. and everything, that's a good question. Um, I started studying drums at nine years old. I grew up in Long Island, New York. Yes, and um, um, I studied with a, a great teacher, Ronnie Benedict who was more than just a drum teacher. He was a motivator. He was inspirational. He took a holistic approach to his students as far as you should do well in school. You should, you know, not get involved in drugs, not and focus. And it was almost like Zen. Drumming was like Zen-like. Mm -hmm. It was, it was. And in fact, Dom Famularo also studied with him yes, at the did. same time. We grew up together. And I, I hear a lot of our teacher Ronnie's, um, talking in what Don does in his motivational speaking. He's carrying on that torch. Yes. And, it, and our teacher, Ronnie Benedict, really helped a lot of young kids who didn't have direction. Uh, I always had, once I started drumming, my first lesson on a rubber pad, doing a mama, daddy, open yes. stroke, oh, I was hooked. I was hooked. And then seeing, seeing Beatles on Ed Sullivan, you know, all the guys my age who saw it said, gee, yeah. I'm going to play in a band. So I thought Ringo was cool. I liked the drums. And uh, and I still have my 1967 Ludwig kit right right in the next room oh, here. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I I love those Keystone kits. They're yeah. So I, I, I studied with Ronnie till I was about 16. And then I had a friend at Hofstra University who was a percussion major. And he, he and I used to listen to Zappa together. And then 
he turned me on to Edgar Varese, who was one of Zappa's idols. Yes. And I heard this piece, Ionization, which is a percussion ensemble. And I just flipped out. I said, what is this? I got, I got to get into this. So I started taking percussion lessons from a very old percussionist in New York, Joseph Casca, who was in the NBC Symphony years ago. He played at Radio City Music Hall. And um, I took lessons every Saturday in his basement of his home in Queens. My lessons were about two and a half hours long. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Included a half an hour of ear training. I had a lot of makeup. It was only supposed to be a half an hour, but he liked me. He was kind of a grandfather type. And um, it, it just, it, it really um, set me on a really good course, uh, which led to me going to, coming to Boston here to study with Vic Firth. And uh, that was really an incredible period. Um, and Vic was an incredible player and, and yes. person and business guy too. I mean, gee, uh, yeah. incredible <laughs> Yankee ingenuity. But, but you know, I want people to know he's, he was probably one of the greatest timpanists who ever lived. I mean, as a musician, he was unbelievable. No question about that. Yeah, so that's kind of the, the, the Reader's Digest version of how I got into percussion. Okay. So you bring up a lot of cool things here that I, I want to touch on. First and foremost, um, you know, I, I do know Dom and his, his motivational speaking, it, I, you know, is amazing. So it's, it's really cool to see someone else who had the same teacher and, you know, you know, followed in the footsteps of the teacher. Of course he, you know, is more on the, on the teaching side and you more products right, right now, right, but right, it's right. so cool. You know, I, you know, me and, me and my friends that have the same teachers keep in touch. I don't know if you keep in touch with Dom, but you know, I do. I do. Yeah. And what's cool about this. And, you know, I, I talked about this with some other uh, people I had on a podcast is drumming. I think more than any other family, and this is becoming kind of a drone in my podcast drumming more than any other family instruments, I think is more close knit and family like than any other instrument. I think we stick together more than any other group of instruments and i think it has oh, to do with yeah and i think it has to do with our teachers and the motivation it has to go go with the teaching aspect of it we're not just sitting there you know you know playing arpeggio exercises forever and ever we're right, being motivated right. so well when you think of us as, as drummers percussionists we're dealing with rhythm we're dealing with drums which is you know, I, I, I kid people when they ask, ask about me and my son. I say, well, my son's in high tech. I'm in very low tech. I mean, it's basically a log with two animal skins that's been refined to plastic and, yeah. you know, a, a green sparkle. So, um, uh, but there's something very um, earthy about it, connecting us through rhythm. And if you think about, we all share uh, a commonality in a heartbeat which yes. really we all have this rhythm going constantly throughout our life. And, you know, I, I, I was fortunate to get to know Mr. Remo belly very well. Oh, and he wow. was very kind yeah. to me and he was mentoring me in some ways. And, you know, his whole uh, take on rhythm for life and with health, there's something to it. There's something about it. And so it's like a connective tissue mm -hmm. that connects mm -hmm. all of us all of us, you know, and it's a really cool, it's, if look, if you go to the oboe convention, it's going to be a lot different than the percussion convention. Oh, trust me. So, I, I, so the percussion convention is a lot more fun. Yes, yeah. it is. 
So the other thing you brought up, and this is because I do have some of my students that, uh, or former students that listen to this, is you said your your teacher in Queens um, did ear training with you. And I think that yeah. drummers and percussionists, I mean, you get it when you go to college and all that, but start as early as you can. Take those music theory classes in high school, wherever you can. Ear training for percussionists right. is so important. And I think it's something right. that is not used as much as it should be. So absolutely and there's a lot of tools now on the internet and youtube yes ear, ear training apps um i used to this is in the ancient days when i was in high school carry around a little round pitch pipe with me and between classes i try and sing an a and see how close i was and try and sing different intervals every day i'd, I'd practice a different interval of singing which is important with timpani playing because you have to tune and retune and hear the intervals but, you know, really as musicians, it's all about listening, hearing. I'm constantly listening to music and, and um, it's just consciously and subconsciously absorbing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's, it's um, it, you know, it's really an incredible thing that I would encourage everybody to, to listen and listen critically and, and understand what you're hearing. Yes. Think about what you're hearing. Yes, I absolutely agree and i love when i hear from other people too um right. so let's go on so once you're in boston and studying with the great Vic firth um you know you end up playing in some very very famous ensembles up there yeah and, yeah I was um, fortunate yes i would say so we i, I would i want to touch on that too but when you're when you're playing those ensembles how do you get from playing and uh you know with all these great musicians to Starting your own percussion company, how did that come about? Well, it was an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable accident. So I never set out or had designs to start a percussion company. You know, I, I went to Newham Conservatory, majored in percussion study with Vic. And um, I always, since I was a kid, used to like to build models. And I was into model rocketry and radio controlled airplanes. And I always liked to build stuff. Actually, I used to take stuff apart a lot, too like our home television that I, but then I couldn't put it back together. Oh, so, no. You know, it, it, but I used to like to understand how things are built. Um, in high school, there was a company called Dynaco where you could buy audio components and build your own amps and preamps. And, and I love that stuff. So it was kind of natural for me. I was playing, actually, I, I was starting to play with the Boston Symphony and they have a very old triangle uh, that I was playing in a piece called Scheherazade. Um, and it, it, it had a sparkle like I never heard. It's like hitting a great cymbal. Oh. You know, it has that shimmer. Yes. And I asked Vic about it, and he said he'd never heard another one like that. It was a very old Leedy triangle that was in the orchestra. Leedy, wow. Okay. Yeah, so I was curious. You know, I said, well, what makes one triangle sound better than another? And, and it was it was bothering me. And, of course, you, in those days, there was no internet. It, Nothing, there were no books written on triangles. So I had a friend from high school who was going to MIT, which is right across the river mm -hmm. from where Symphony Hall is. So I, I called him and said, I'm going to come over. I got to talk to you. So I brought the triangle with me. I wasn't supposed to take it out of Symphony Hall, but I snuck it out nice. and I showed it to him. And he was, he was a, a, an amateur violinist. And I said, I want to understand why this sounds so good. Can you help me? Do you know people here at MIT, which is one of the greatest engineering schools in the world? Absolutely. And he said, well, let's go talk to uh, my professor. He's a, he's an amateur flute player. So we went to the professor's office. He was in his office. 
I was introduced and, and my friend said he's placed in the Boston Symphony. And um, he asked me if I knew Randy Bowman. And I said, flute, flute player, yeah, because that was his flute teacher who was a friend oh, no. of mine. Okay. So I told him what I was wanting to find out. And he was intrigued by the question. And so he said, there's a couple of students over at the Acoustics and Vibrations Laboratory that were looking for a project. So I was the project. Oh, wow. So they actually reverse engineered it, told me what it was and what kind of material and how it was fabricated. And once I knew that, I had to find someone to do replicate it. Mm -hmm. So in I needed a blacksmith. So, you know, there aren't many blacksmiths around anymore because there's no wagons. You don't yeah. want to go wagon train. Yeah. Um, but oh, horseshoe uh, makers. Uh, but there was an old shipyard in Boston in um, that I went to uh, up in Charlestown. The old Navy Yard was still there where they used to build battleships during World War II. And I found an old blacksmith. I explained it to him. He said, yeah, leave this with me, meaning the, the directions. He said, come back in a week. So I went back the next week. And he had a triangle and oh, I, wow. I, I brought, brought a triangle clip and a beater and I hung it up. I hit it. I said, Oh my God, this is it. No way. It. So I thought that way. I gave him $25. That's what he wanted. I thought that's it. I have the triangle. So I went back to symphony hall and in one performance, I decided not to use the old lady, but to use mine and I'm playing mine. And I had the old lady on a stand and the other guys in the section are looking at me like, what the hell is going on? They And they said, where did you get that? And I said, well, I, I made it. I didn't really make it. Yeah. I had to make it. They said, could you make one for me? You got to make one for oh, me. Oh, no. I said, okay, okay. So I went back to the blacksmith. Could you make three more? So I paid him 25 and I just charged the guys 25. I wasn't yeah. looking to make money on the next thing I know, John, word is starting to spread. That, And you have to understand, in those days, it was hard to find a lot of good percussion stuff. I mean, there were only two marimba makers. Today, there's like 10. Yeah. You know, so it was very... Um, so um, guys from the different orchestras were calling me, and I didn't want to do it. I said, no, I'm not... I, this is not what I do. They said, come on, you got it. So-and-so told me. So I did it. And what really turned it into something that I knew was going to go forward. I, one day I get a call from this guy with a New York accent and he says he's in Dallas, Texas. His name was Harvey Vogel. And he just started this company, Lone Star Percussion. Yep. Says, I, I understand you're in the triangle business. And I said, no, I am not in the triangle business. His words to me were, well, you are now. I want to buy two dozen triangles. <laughs> and I couldn't believe he wanted two dozen so I charged him an extra five. I did it. And I thought, maybe there's something here. This is just, I don't know, maybe other people want good triangles. And so it it slowly, it actually quite rapidly grew. And, and I added some other products. And then I used to go down to New York to the drum shops and bring triangles and go to Chicago and bring triangles. Oh, wow. And then it was tambourines. And it, it just, it was like a little poodle I took out for a walk that started dragging me down the street. And before I knew it, I was being dragged across the country. It's almost, uh, it's almost like another, I mean, you're in Boston. It's, it's almost like a Jim Cook story with uh, Boston beer company. You know, he finds this recipe kind of, and right. ends up walking around with cases of beer. Um, right. So, you know, you did mention you added other project uh, projects, uh, products. And I think 
the one that everyone I think is coming to everyone's minds are, are your tambourines. Um, yeah, I own too many that I want to mention right now because every time you have a new combination, I happen to call someone named Dave that we know and I buy one. Um, but where, where did the tambourine come from? Um, well, it was the same issue. There were no good tambourine. Well, Ludwig used to make a really good tambourine when the Ludwig family owned the company. Okay. But around the time I was in school, they sold the company. Um, and they were owned by corporate and corporate changed a lot of things and they looked to the bottom line and they started cutting things. So the tambourines weren't as good as the old Ludwigs. You hear all the old Ludwigs on all the hits of the sixties, yes. the funk brothers and all that. So I couldn't find a good tambourine. So I, I bought 12 cheapo tambourines that came from Pakistan. The frames were okay and the heads were okay, but the jingles were terrible. So a friend of mine told me, well, if you heat the jingles up, they'll sound better. So I took all the jingles off in my studio apartment and I put them in the oven and I just turned it on and then it did nothing. Oh. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but the ovens, you need to heat them up to a thousand degrees, oh, wow. degrees not, not 350. Yeah. Um, so I took the jingles off and then I went over to a sheet metal shop and I didn't know what I wanted. So I, I, the guy, I went in the, around the back into the sales desk and I said, I'm, I'd like to buy some sheet metal. He says, well, what, what do you want? I said, I don't know. He says, well, what do you mean you don't know what you want? And I explained to him, I'd like to try some different alloys, different thicknesses. I, he said, well, if you give me 20 bucks, you can pick up all the scraps off the floor. Oh, no and way. It was all kinds of stuff. So I did. I filled the box. Now I went home. I had bought a shear, a tinsmith shear, and I cut the circles round and punched a hole. And then I, I shaped them. I had a little piece of railroad track, which I still have from the MBTA. It was extra. Hey, nice. And I hammered the, hammer the jingles, different shapes, and put them on. And then I found a couple things that sounded really good, but I didn't know what they were. So now I went back to the metal shop and I said, what is this? He said, oh, that's 18% uh, nickel silver. Oh, what's this? That's a beryllium copper. W which one is this? Fos bronze. So I said, okay, these are the three alloys I want to use. And then I bought sheets and I used to originally cut them out by hand round. It used to take me hours to make one tambourine uh, with jingles. Neil, I had no idea you cut the jingles by hand. That originally yeah oh. i still have some of those original they're not perfectly round but you know what like the old k zildjian symbols that weren't hammered perfectly yep. but have incredible sound these had incredible sound because they weren't perfect that's amazing that's i, yeah. I had no idea i can just imagine the hand cramps from cutting all of that metal. Well, it, 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 it's not practical to do no. because it takes too long mm -hmm. so what over the years what we did is i started figuring out how to how to automate certain shaping and you then do the final hammering that imparts the quality of the jingles. So the jingles are still hand hammered, every single one of them. Uh, but 90% of the forming is done with tooling and dies and machinery. My, uh, my hands actually did hammer some jingles for you when I, when I did intern I'm for sure you. you did. And it's I, a rite of passage. It is. And I got to tell you, it is still to this day. And I, I think about this when I, you know, if I'm stressed out, Hammering jingles, believe it or not, is so like stress relieving for some reason. You know, I think it's just because it's monotonous, like getting oh, the no. hammering down. And I Absolutely. loved it. I loved it. Uh, well, you know, John, you're one of a number of 
great interns we had at the oh, shop. <laughs> and my goal with the internships was to get people thinking and listening and and being creative and 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 exploring. Um, you're exactly right. I had days where the the you know what was hitting the fan at the office for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, taxes or the bank or the IRS, and I was I was ready to flip out. I would just go out back, grab an anvil, put the headphones on, and start hammering. And you're right, a little bit of that, you feel much better. Yes, yes. And I, listen, that that um that last semester of college is a doozy. And when when I came to you and 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 you know was it twice a week, and I always made sure if I had time, I'd go get some stress relief. In fact, I think I took, I think I took some home with it with a small anvil. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah. uh, I, I would do it at home and like my friends would come over. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm working. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, a lot of it. A lot of the work was done piecework where yeah. people would take things home, bring jingles back and, and um, that way they could work at their own pace. And mm-hmm. it worked. We still do that. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I to this day, uh, you know, you have great products, but I, I, I got to tell you, the best part about your products is um, – introducing them to my students because you know when my freshmen come up and it's no fault out of anyone you have middle school elementary programs they're not buying the best instruments because right, you're dealing with right. children but when when i put one of your triangles and it happened this year and i you know this kid is is a great drummer um and i he was playing an auxiliary part i think to it was either children's march or something it was probably something Granger because I'm obsessed with Granger. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And um, we were playing something and, you know, he had one of your triangles in his hand. I remember him rolling out a first time and he just goes like, you can't, obviously, no, uh, this is not an interview, but his eyes like lighten up. I stopped the band. I'm like, are you OK? He goes, this is an awesome triangle. And it, it's it's amazing, like what a quality instrument can do to you as a musician. Absolutely. Well, you know, it, it, people didn't take the triangle seriously when I started. It was like, you know, it doesn't matter, but it does matter. I agree. You're in an orchestra, you're in a band, you're recording, um, you know, and um, I always used to take whatever I'm doing very seriously, saying I need to do the best I can. I want to sound the best. I need the best equipment. Um, you know, it's competitive, too, in the market, in the school, and when you go to uh, music school, mm-hmm. you know, it's competitive. So I always took my role as a percussionist seriously in being able to play any percussion instrument that's going to be thrown in front of me. Now, I might not be the best at anything, and I'm not. I'm not the best marimba player you've ever heard, far from it. But I could play any marimba part that's going to show up in the orchestra. So um, for me, it was more about working, about having a career, uh, having longevity, mm-hmm. uh, being professional, being respected. And enjoying myself at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, so I was able to accomplish that. Luckily, I, I I have no doubt. I mean, I just from knowing you and knowing your career, um, you definitely do have fun. Um, I, I do want to talk about your playing career. Uh, you know, you you do play uh, with um, both Boston uh, ensembles, right? Pops in the symphony, yeah. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. Um, I'm not well, not which one is better, but what do you like about each ensemble um, and and what you're playing? Well, unlike a lot of my colleagues, my preference would be to play with the pops. Okay. And I'll tell you why. I love Mahler. 
months, you know, I don't like sitting on my rear end waiting. Okay. And it's very hard. I mean, it's hard to sit there and know where you are and come in fresh. Um, in the pops, you have five percussionists who are playing all the time, movie soundtracks, you know, um, all the John Williams stuff, yeah. um, Broadway show stuff, um, some classical. And I realized in one week with the pops, I probably played more percussion than I played in a whole season playing with the Boston Ballet. Oh my Lord. Wow. You know, so, um, so I like it. I like to be busy. I like to be um, an integral part of what's going. Plus, you know, we're playing stuff like, like we did it. We have a medley of, um, of queen, you know, now somebody said, well, that's really tacky an orchestra playing queen, Not at all. but it's fun. Yeah, it's it's fun. a lot of, it has some great mallet parts, you know, you're in there playing, uh, you know, the stuff and, and you're, you're, I got to play Latin percussion and drum yeah. set too. It's a ball. It's a ball. As as much as those the the classical repertoire is is important, I and listen, you know, I my kids they they play classical pieces, but the the pop stuff is just as important for an ensemble that it wasn't written for to play. I think the Boston Pops right. playing Queen is important, you know, transferring oh, yeah. it over like no. that. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, John Williams. Did you ever get uh, did you ever get a chance to play under his direction? 10 years he was the music director for 10 years mm -hmm. and i'm very fortunate that i can call him a friend wow. he's a lovely individual he's perhaps one of the greatest musicians i've ever met um he's originally a jazz piano player yes uh john, what people don't know is john williams senior which was his father was a very famous drummer he was I did a, not he know was that a, he played uh he was on the leady catalog he played on tv and john's brother's both of them are top percussionists in the LA studio. So um, he's surrounded by percussionists. Um, his playing his music with him mm -hmm. is just an unbelievable experience. I mean, I, I, you know, playing star Wars or whether it's Harry Potter and there's the man on the podium who created it. And some of the greatest film music, ever, some of the greatest music ever written. I, I agree. E.T. I mean, you, you name all the top movies, Jaws, E.T., Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter. Yes. It's on and on. And when he came, we, we played, naturally, we're playing a lot of his music, which became favorites wherever we go in the world, mm -hmm. travel mm -hmm. to Japan or where, wherever we are, they want to hear John Williams and... Um, it was a quite a great experience. I'm very lucky to be able to to have worked uh, with him and under his baton, and and make and make him a friend. Does he um? Do you ever talk to you about like his time with Henry Mancini doing all the production work at all? A, a little bit, you know. It's interesting. I um, one of the gigs I did, um, and I, I did a lot of different kinds of gigs. One of the gigs I did was with Perry Como. Oh wow. Actually, in in New York, in New Jersey, we did a little tour. And so the music director there told me that John, used in his younger days, used to be with Perry Como. I had no idea. Music, played piano and music directed. So Perry, I said something, you know, I work with John. He said, say hi to Johnny for me. They called him John. So I went up and rehearsal. I went up a uh, uh, John. Uh, I have regards to you from Perry. And he was laughing. He said, oh, what were you doing with him? I said, well, I was playing a gig. You know, and, and uh, yeah, he was, he, you know, he started out as a, what they call a sideman. 
in the studios playing piano and then became a music director for different singers. And, um, and he was with Vic Damone for a while, I think. And, yeah. And, and, yeah. I, you, you know, know, I, I have never had a chance to see him, uh, conduct live. Um, I've had a chance yeah. to see his pieces done live, whether it be I, in a concert setting or the, um, you know, where they show the movie and, um, right. and, and you, and you hear the music. But uh, he, right. one of, if not one, you know, the, the, one of the greatest composers of all time. Oh, is there I'll tell a, you a very quick funny story. By all means, yes. So um, I don't. It was quite a while ago, but they were making the sequel to Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Mm-hmm. So they were recording it over in England. John was using the London Symphony a lot, and um, he was also conducting the Pops. And I got a call one day saying John needs the percussionist to come in to record a special segment for Indiana Jones that they're going to insert some music. Okay. So I, I said, what do we need for the session? John said, bring everything you have, <laughs> everything we have. So we had all this stuff on the stage. We didn't know what we were going to play. And it was just six of us. Mm-hmm. And a chorus was there and there was some music. And John said, it was kind of loose. He said, um, Neil, um, can we need a sound like the reeds of a uh, waving, scary sound. What do you have? And I had some chains and I had some brake drums and nothing was good. But then I picked up this hose I have and you whirl it around and it makes woo. Yeah. And he liked that. He said, use that. And so we were piecing stuff together. And I remember asking him because he had a screen so he could see the film mm-hmm. to coordinate with the music. We didn't. So I asked him, I said, John, what's going on? in this scene. And he just said, Neil, in this scene, we're going to scare the crap out of every boy and girl in America. (laughs) Okay. I'm in. That's awesome. And it's the scene in the movie where they're lowering this guy into a fire pit and they rip his heart out. Yes. Get out of here. That's the scene. You're in that scene. scene. Well, some of the percussion sounds is us. And they had a chorus singing in some fake language some yeah. weird yeah no that was the scene that Get was the scene i'm gonna have to go oh. watch it again and be like hey i know someone playing on that yeah so i mean i i remember the session and when the movie came out i went i went with my wife to go see it and i'm sitting there and i'm hearing it and i'm watching it. i said oh my god this is unbelievable yeah. <laughs> that's amazing uh- I could talk about John Williams forever. So yeah, speaking yeah. of speaking of uh, conductors and composers, is there anyone else that you've uh, you've like you've been under their stick that you like loved, or yes, another composer? Leonard, Ber- Leonard Bernstein. I had no idea. I played West Side Story, which he wrote, <laughs> which was unbelievable. I I was um, it was unbelievable. I mean, um, and played I played Chike Four with him conducting. Oh, I played wow. Tiffany. And uh, he was an amazing musician, like John Williams, a creator, a scholar, a composer, a great conductor. Um, and when since I was a kid growing up in New York, Leonard Bernstein was like the yeah. name because he conducted the New York Phil. And, and so to meet him and to get a picture with him and, and get to talk to him uh, was quite a thrill. So uh, I think that would be the other big one that I mean, I played with a lot of great conductors. Uh, but to play with creators mm-hmm. who create music that I love, West Side Story is one of my favorite musicals. Same. Oh, as a percussionist, how could how could you not? I just, right, right. Yeah. So so to get to play that with him and discuss it with him, to ask him about the percussion writing because there were some things I had questions about, which he clarified. Um, I always love being with the creator. Mm-hmm 
the creative process. It's, it's incredible. So he'd be the other one I'd say. That's amazing. All right. I'm going to throw you for a loop real quick. Is there, is there, what are you listening to right now? You know, we're on this, the great break of the world. What, what are you listening to as far for pleasure, for work? What's going on right now in your, I listen 99% of what I listen to is jazz. Awesome. Um, I'm big. I'm a big fan of a lot of the jazz pianists. Okay. You know, trios and, um, there's a young woman in California now. I'm listening to Amy Nolte. She's a she's she's not well known, but I love her her jazz piano playing. Um, I sometimes will turn on uh, Bruno Mars. I love Bruno Mars. Oh, his band's incredible. Live. The band's uh, oh. and it reminds me when I was a teenager, I went to go see James Brown in New York, mm-hmm. and that was an unbelievable concert. And he reminds me a lot the, the you know the the the, the funk the feel yeah. of it. Did he great, uh, did know. he play drums at your show? In one number he played. Not yeah. bad. Yeah. Not a bad drummer. No, no, no. Really, really, it was a great show and and just really entertaining. And um, you know, I'll listen to a few classical things. Not a lot mm-hmm. because I played so much of it. Um, um, but like I say, a lot of jazz. Like I have on in my my car, Sirius. It's just. Real jazz, it's a great you know, station. all the time. Yeah, it's a great, great station. Great station, you know, and occasionally a Sinatra station for a little fun. Um, and uh, Once in a Blue Moon, 60s on 6, because that's the era I grew up in. All good stuff. And, uh, I'm listening a lot to the Beatles still. I mean, I have a vintage MG, uh, MGB 1977. Nice. A car with, with – with, I, I tool around in it with the Beatles blaring. It's a convertible. You know, it's kind of kind of fun for me. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. kind of what I'm listening to. I like MGBs. I, one of my dream cars actually is it's well, not spirit twin, but uh, again, another small car, but I've always wanted to triumph spitfire. So yeah, uh, well, there's, we should talk offline. Oh, there's yes. plenty out there and uh, then uh, talk to me offline. You got I'll it. Yeah. See, I can talk <laughs> cars also. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, you know, I, I love when I have uh, percussionists on, you know, just to spread their knowledge about, you know, drums and the drum world. And I, again, thank you so much. Well, thank you, John. And, and I, I appreciated having you as an intern and part of the Grover family. Thank you. And I appreciate you inviting me uh, on your grilling show. Yeah. It's the best grilling I've ever had. Oh, thanks. I, you know, I, I, I try here. I try here. All right, <laughs> All right, All right Neil. Terrific. Take care. Thanks, John. All right.